Good morning, St. Luke's. After vacation and medical leave, it is good to be back home in this parish. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> For those of you who do not know, I had a UPPP surgery last month, which means I joined some of you who are members of the No Tonsils Club. <laughs> and it's not just that my tonsils were removed. I am a member of an even smaller group, No Tonsils or Uvula. That's the little thing that hangs down over your throat. Oh, uh, so there. It was a surgery to eliminate my sleep apnea for better health and quality of life. And thanks be to God, it was successful. I was told by my ENT surgeon that the surgery might change my voice and not for the better. So I prayed to God that if my voice was changed, I wanted that rich, deep voice of our lector, David Emery. <laughs> the voice of God. <laughs> so this morning, I have a testimony of God's healing power of restoring my health. I want to underscore that you were part of God's healing. Your many prayers your calls, cards, food brought me back. And for that, I thank you and will be eternally grateful. You provide pretty good pastoral care. <laughs> I've said it many times in the past, and I'm saying it again this morning. I've served and been a part of good parishes all over the country, but none as good as St. Luke's Episcopal Church here in downtown Atlanta. For the record, <clears throat> I'm very blessed to be in a parish that bears the name of St. Luke, the evangelist, also the patron saint of doctors and surgeons, our saint. Luke is my favorite of the Gospels because Luke centers itself on those at the margins, the outcasts, the infirmed, and a prophetic model for us to make those lives better. And at St. Luke's, this is what you do every day, every week, allowing that light of Christ to shine in transforming lives on the margins of those who suffer. And today, Luke lays out a story to which we all can relate, a story about illness. As humans, it is the thing that we all have in common, illness. Irrespective of our gender or sexual identity, our income level, skin color, political or relig religious affiliation, or where we live in the world, we have and always will get sick. 
caught in a web of the human condition, no one leaves this world without getting sick. And I was told that this woman had her epitaph on her gravestone, I told you all I was sick. Here in the Gospel is a powerful account of Jesus encountering a woman in pain and suffering, in need of healing, and he responds to her infirmity. We've all been this woman in pain and suffering and seeking relief from that illness. This pandemic has magnified just how vulnerable our bodies are and the need to turn to a greater power for healing. The gospel reads that Jesus, a faithful Jewish man observing his faith, was teaching on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And this woman comes into the synagogue, and as soon as Jesus saw her bent over, he called her over, laid his hands on her, and she was healed. Jesus did not wait until he had finished the class or until the service was over. She did not have to sit and wait as we would in the ER. But Jesus did not tell her to come back the next day so that he would not jeopardize honoring the Sabbath, but he stopped everything when he saw her suffering of 18 years and had to act. He had to heal her right then and there. This woman experienced healing then, and we're told that she began praising God. Oh, my, my. And while we do not even know her name, we can identify with the exhilaration that she must have felt. It is how we feel when we overcome an illness or just have some relief from the heavy cross of illness. However, in this moment, a legalistic rabbi decides to take Jesus on, essentially calling Jesus out and tells Jesus and those gathered that if you have need for being cured, come back tomorrow. He goes into the Mosaic law that you can be cured on any of the six days, but not on the Sabbath. Now, he really stepped into it. <laughs> because just then, Jesus preaches. He points to the hypocrisy of everyone gathered, telling them that even on the Sabbath, they take care of their animals in need. And here is a woman a fellow human being, a daughter of Abraham, in need of relief, who would have been left to suffer rather than relieved from it. And in this teachable moment that we call transformational leadership, this congregation becomes ashamed that they were willing to fail this sister in need because of a law. And as I preached in my last sermon, Jesus saw human needs, had compassion, and acted 
opposing any law that failed compassion to consider the needs and worth of the person. She needed healing. And yet we come with questions about why we get sick. In an imperfect world of microorganisms and toxins, we know that disease is part of our reality. We also know from John 9 that a God of love does not punish us with illness. In this mystery of life, I do not have the answer to why some experience healing from illness while others do not. But my soul is a witness that in our struggles with health and illness, God generally allows us a strength and peace that pass our understanding. During my days as a chaplain, I often stood amazed at God's healing through the modern miracle of medicine and those gifted to practice it. As a pastoral care priest, I've come to understand healing in much broader terms. In God's abiding love and faithfulness, we are never left alone in our illness. And like the hand of Jesus on this woman, I have witnessed God's loving hands on those who are ill, enabling them strength from their prayers as they manage their suffering. Healing miracles happen not because we will all experience them, but they exist to give us hope. Seven years ago, at Johnson City Medical Center, I saw one of those miracles walk into the door and served alongside him a fellow chaplain named Connor. He had chosen to be a chaplain to give witness as to how his faith sustained him through a near-fatal illness. At the age of 14, Connor had gone on a fishing trip with his dad in Idaho. Although he had been having headaches for months prior to this trip, he had no idea that the headache that he had that day was in a line of something far more serious. After drinking coffee, thinking that fluids would help, the pain continued. It intensified and worsened as his dad began to drive him home. Following a stabbing pain, his vision blurred, legs went numb, and he passed out. His father realized that Connor, Connor's life was in danger, and after driving a short distance, fortunately, the hand of God moved through strangers, a police officer and a nurse, who immediately offered their hands to assist. 
An ambulance was called and drove him to a small town where Jet was waiting to fly him to Spokane, Washington. When he arrived at the trauma hospital, it was determined that he had a brain bleed, an aneurysm, after being helicoptered to a larger medical center in Spokane, Washington, he went into surgery and spent the next month in a medically induced coma. He had to have a portion of his skull removed and put in a freezer to be reattached later and a shunt placed in him to drain excess fluid from his brain. His parents were told the news that no parent wants to hear, that if he survived, he would not have a normal life due to the severe strain on his brain that would likely leave him in a vegetative state. He was awakened from the coma after a month. The medical team had removed a part of his brain that had been traumatized. His recovery was full of struggles for a couple of years with memory loss, atrophy, and the arduous task of learning to live again. Through it all, Hannah turned to his faith, praying to God to live again and to rise above the prognosis of the medical team. Even in his young faith, Connor says today that his faith was always focused on God and how he could possibly use his story as a witness of God's amazing grace. And like the woman in the synagogue who praised God for healing, Connor's medical team, family, school, and Connor were amazed at his recovery and praised God for that miracle. Connor excelled in high school, college, and during those years, his faith deepened as he felt the call to seminary, ordained ministry, and chaplaincy. And he is now a full-time board-certified chaplain at a children's hospital in Boise, Idaho. And I spoke with him last night. And like the woman who came to the synagogue that day in need of healing, Connor found healing from the hand of God through the miracle of modern medicine. So just as God and Jesus stopped everything because a woman stood in need of healing, our God is always standing by when we're in need of healing. Jeremiah penned that from the beginning of his being, our being, we're in God's hands, God's healing hands. The little bitty baby, the child Connor, and the woman at the synagogue were all in God's hands. We are held by God's love and healing. Mother Teresa acted on it. Howard Thurman preached about it. Beethoven played about it. Charlotte Elliott believed it. Marian Anderson sang about it. And the hymn writer Thomas More wrote an invitation to come ye disconsolate, to come forth because earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal or cure. So the good news today is whatever illness or malady you are facing, be it mental, physical, emotional, or spiritual, 
You do not have to wait until tomorrow or the next day. Jesus has shown us that God is waiting to heal you this day. Come and be healed. Amen.